0: We are parents, we are doctors, we are first responders, teachers, and concerned citizens who have found ourselves at a crossroads. We see our freedoms being stripped away and we can no longer stay silent. We are millions strong, united in a thundering voice and imperative mission that cannot and will not be ignored. We are standing up for the basic human right to raise our own children, earn a living, and make our own medical decisions without the tyrannical overreach that has been forced upon us here in California, across the country, and around the world. We are here to amplify the voices, moving the needle, bringing forth truth, and provide education and resources with tangible tools and expert insights. We are the Unity Project, and this is our podcast.
1: Well, hello, everyone. This is Curtis Hill on behalf of the Unity Project. I'm very happy to be a guest host today, and I'm joined here by two wonderful gentlemen, uh, leaders in the fight for freedom in this country uh, and friends of mine. I'd like to uh, introduce you to Kevin McGarry uh, from San Francisco, and I'll, I'll give you a little bit of information about Kevin. He's an entrepreneur, an author, public speaker in the area of civic engagement. Kevin serves as chairman of the Frederick Douglass Foundation of California, and he's an executive with the Douglas Leadership Institute and the North Star Leadership PAC. Uh, he's also president and co-founder of Every Black Life Matters. And Kevin, we're definitely going to want to talk to you about that subject uh, yes. as soon as we break in here. All and right. uh, I'd also like to introduce you to uh, our MMA fighter, our, our main man and board member for the Unity Project, Royce White, former NBA player political, and mental health activist, and recent congressional candidate who is fighting the cultural, spiritual, psychological, and economic warfare being waged against our society. That's a mouthful. That's a, that's a whole lot of fighting. Uh, uh, Royce, let's begin with you a little bit. Uh, give us a little insight um, behind w- how you got into this fight, this fight for freedom, and, uh, and, and where it all began for you. Um... Well it began
2: for me in my uh being drafted into the NBA and and I was drafted into the NBA back in 2013 and at the time I was one of the first players to speak publicly about my struggles with anxiety disorder and it was a big deal in in the sports world because um no athlete or or any other public figure had really spoken openly about anxiety Uh, In a way that wasn't stemming from them having have gotten in some type of trouble where they needed to to be open about those issues to explain why they had gotten in trouble. Um, I hadn't gotten in in any trouble. I just happened to let it slip one day in an interview uh, with a very prominent uh, publication. I think it was ESPN uh, that I was struggling with anxiety because I was talking about my pregame ritual, uh, and so you know, just and, what, and the,
1: what was that? What was what was your ritual?
2: Oh, the ritual was just simply that I didn't eat before games, right? I mean, so the 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 the, the reporter what asked. Was it? That was it. Yeah, I, the reporter goes, hey, you know, what's your pregame ritual? And I say, well, you know, I, I do this, I do that. And then, you know, I don't really eat. So I, I I take this, I take that. It was Gatorade and I do a little sugar pills right before. The, and he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why don't you eat before the game? I go, oh, because I suffer with anxiety. And so then I go to my warm up and, and he goes, wait, stop. What do you mean? What are you talking about anxiety? So that kind of opened up Pandora's box. And um, it became a really big story in the NBA draft that year. Um, and when I got to the NBA, um, you know, there was a huge discussion about where I would end up and how the team would view mental health, how the league would view mental health. And I tried to approach that that uh, conversation or that that sort of uh, situation in good faith until um, one day it came to sort of a head with me in the organization. And I asked the question, um, well, let me see the policy. Let me see. Let me see what's written down. Let me see what mental health policies exist in the collective bargaining agreement. And to our surprise, we found that there wasn't one mention of mental health in the entire collective bargaining agreement. And so I said, okay, we either have to we either have to uh, create a, a, a parody, a document that 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 you know recognizes parity between mental health and physical health for the physical mm-hmm. health documents we already have on 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 the you know in the CBA or we need to create an addendum and and the league wasn't open to either one of those things and and hence started my fight Uh, around mental health within the NBA as a representation of the corporatocracy. And I ran smack dab into the mainstream media and, and they were totally willing to talk about mental health as this sort of hyperbolic issue, but they certainly weren't willing to bring any real harsh criticism to the NBA or the rest of the corporatocracy as it pertained to mental health. And, and the greater human condition question that, that is, that is linked to it as a, as a topic. So um, that that's how I got involved. I mean, for ten years now i'm I'm thirty one years old today. Um, I, that that happened at twenty one years old. So the f- first ten years of my adult life, um, you know i've been I've been fighting against a, a very powerful mainstream media machine and the narrative to to try and misinform many people uh, about the most basic basic elements of of human life in our society.
1: so your 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 personal battle has paralleled. What many in this nation have undergone in the last two years—this um, this, this uh, uh, damming down of information um, and and a personal exercise and a personal loss of your freedom—Kevin, um, let's turn to you for a little bit. Uh, I've known Kevin for a, a while now, and and Kevin, you've got an extraordinary background. Uh, give us a little insight as to uh, where you come from in this in this battle, and and land for me, if you will, with every black life matters because that's a that's a critical uh a critical piece of the equation it's, it's wonderful what you do you're doing great work uh so just uh, give us a little bit about what's going on in your background
3: you bet well uh first of all i just want to say i'm honored to be here with you curtis and then you brother royce it's uh, so good to meet you man I appreciate all your work and putting in the work to make things happen uh so my my uh background is uh my boy from the hood, man. I was born and raised in San Francisco and Hunters Point in the nineteen sixties. Uh, if you know anything about Hunters Point, it's project housing uh, up in San Francisco that was there at that time, and that was where the Black Panthers had their headquarters and all that. And so, um, uh, I I was there and was just an urban dweller and did all kind of crazy urban stuff. Um, uh, I used to just love to scrap and and all that and um, just just crazy stuff in the streets, but. Um, by God's grace, I got out of that. And, uh, because my father came home every single night, I uh, had good grades. And, um, because my mom always used that against me, look, if you don't get good grades, I'm going to, your, your dad, you got to work with your daddy on that. <laughs> so I, I, I got good grades. And, uh, by the time I graduated, uh, high school, I decided, well, I just go to college. I got a sociology degree and, um, and so then, uh, after I graduated, I got a sociology degree, uh, met my wife now of thirty five years, and uh, we decided today God at His word, take it every word and syllable uh, because we were just you know we really wanted to live that Christian life biblically and and do that. And so what I, what really came out of that, that commitment was the Lord really showed us uh, that uh, our civic engagement didn't align with what we you know, what we're supposed to be all about. Took a look at the platforms of the various parties and all of that and realized we were just off base. Uh, again, we were both born in abject poverty. She was born in inner city Detroit. I'm inner city San Francisco. And uh, both diehard liberals, tradition with family and all that stuff. Uh, but realizing then later, since I'm a psych, I was a sociology major, she's a psych major, realizing later that, look, this is completely the way that we were voting, the way that we were participating civically didn't align with, with what we thought was most beneficial to our community. And uh, we really felt bad that we had been sort of duped, it, so to speak, just based on tradition and not really interrogated the actual platforms and actual uh, policies of the parties that we were participating in at that time. So it made a radical change in how I was participating and, and I started to write some books I'm on my fifth book now. Uh, the first mm-hmm. one, um, you know, first couple came out, and uh, then I was approached by um, the Frederick Douglass Foundation, a national, and they said, "Look, we need somebody in California, somebody that's conservative, somebody that has your background. Would you mind taking on that chapter?" So I, I started the chapter about 13 years ago here in in California, Frederick Douglass Foundation of California. And so I've been uh, been writing conservatively and speaking conservatively and active, being an activist conservatively since uh, you know ever since. but uh, what really started with uh, every Black Life Matters was we saw the the violence, the hatred, uh, the carnage that really came out of the BLM movement, and uh, you know um, we realized that BLM were attaching themselves to uh, to white supremacist by definition, and that would be Antifa. Here you had 99% white folks from the sub- suburbs coming into the black community to burn down black and brown businesses. And to us, it just didn't make sense. And, and then you had, you know, BLM standing alongside them just whooping it up and having a good old time where our black and brown businesses were being burned in the inner city. And I thought, well, you know, if, 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 these, if these guys, these who, people who I call white supremacist Antifa, if they're really committed to burning down businesses, why don't they just stay in the suburban areas and just burn down their suburban businesses? Why do you got to come to the city where, you know, grandmothers and, and mothers have to now catch three buses to go and do some shopping because we have no, you know, we have no grocery stores. So anyway, uh, that and then plus we saw people of faith going out and, and really encouraging uh, pastors encouraging their parishioners to go out with with uh, BLM and March and all that, and we thought that was a bridge too far. We realized that BLM was a Marxist organization. They were a um, uh, so they were Marxist. They were violent. They were hateful. They were looting. They were burning down black and brown businesses, and uh, and yet you had the church aligning with them, and so for us that didn't make sense. So we decided to start every Black Life Matters because we really wanted to illuminate that critical point that. If you're committed to Black Lives Mattering at all, first you have to believe that every single Black life matters, right? Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. So, um, so we felt well, that- and, and the
1: and the basis and the basis for for the Black Lives Matter movement uh, came from police action shootings, um, uh, going crazy over a very small number of tragic circumstances involving uh, Black deaths at the hands of police officers, but completely ignoring. Uh, the, the scores, the, the thousands of deaths that were occurring in our inner city streets uh, along the lines Black-on-Black black crime, as it were.
3: That's exactly right. And, and completely ignoring uh, the, the strategic targeting of Black life in the womb by organizations like Planned Parenthood. So I thought, well, if we're going to stand for Black life, we're going to stand for Black life from conception to the grave and every phase of Black life in between. Um, so we started Every Black Life Matters as an alternative, a righteous and faithful alternative to BLM. And we've been going around the country, we've been helping communities and, and uh, uh, community leaders and parents understand what's happening with crit- critical race theory. So we've been doing the anti-CRT, anti-Black liberation theology, uh, and then we've been doing a compare and contrast with social justice versus biblical justice. So These are types of things that we've been doing when we call remnant rising workshops uh, across the country. And um, and so uh, that's that's sort of why we started. It was because it was just a bridge too far to see people of faith, and to see really an organization that's strictly built around police brutality, uh, which, as you said, uh, Curtis, is a, such a small fraction of of the police engagements that we have on an annual basis. We have, I think, a, close to sixteen million police interactions, police with all people, not just blacks, but 16 million or so police interactions annual. And uh, when you look, break down the percentages of incidences that are actually turned into uh, complaints about police brutality, man, that fraction is so small, it's but not to say it doesn't happen. It happens. Not to
1: say it doesn't happen, not to say that it's that that there's no that it's not that it's inconsequential.
3: Oh yeah. No, I definitely in have.
1: relative terms. You, yeah, you know. When I, when I share the screen with, with the two of you, what comes to mind is that you both are engaged in a quest for truth. And I know from my own perspective, um, if I can summarize the problems that we have in this world, it, it centers around the inability to secure the objective truth. What is true? Um, what are we doing with our children? You know, we, we talk a lot about critical race theory, and uh, I'm of a view that if you teach a child how to critically think, I don't care what you expose them to. And that's one of the things that's missing in our education system. We're not teaching children how to rationally think critically. We're not addressing the truth. Um, And both of you gentlemen come to uh, bring to mind the, uh, uh, the communities that we serve so much is going on in the community that is uh, being missed uh, uh, by misinformation. We get accused of misinformation, but, uh, you know several of our neighbors uh, on a daily basis, are being abused, uh, uh, misinformed, and misled. And uh, and I'd like you to kind of share and 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 this format is open for us to just have a conversation. So don't yeah. don't you, neither, you, nobody has to wait for me to break in or intercede. Royce, <laughs> if you want to say something that Kevin's saying, Kevin, if you want to say something on Royce, let's just talk okay. and yeah. and get at. What our issues are? How did we get to where we are as a nation? Um, what kinds of things do we need to be doing to provide information and leadership to the to those that we serve? How do we take a divided nation and bring it together? How do we take a divided black community and 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 bring it together? How do we address the issues of the black community um, having, in my view, been brainwashed over over uh, decades, if not centuries, um, about what behavior and attitudes uh they should appreciate because from my standpoint I see the 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 black community as strongly biblical uh very strong faith in God um uh very supportive of life um desirous of an education and educational opportunity many things that would traditionally fall in the in the uh, the the path of so-called conservative viewpoint and yet there is such a reluctance to embrace candidates for political office or or themes that get away from the narrative of, of uh, the great society from Lyndon Johnson on forward, notwithstanding all the data that exists that demonstrates that everything that's been occurring, so called for the interests of the Black community uh, since the 1960s, has failed miserably. Um, so, uh, Royce, give us a sense in your mind of how did we get to the point where we are now so that we can sort of address where we go from here
2: well i think you know there's a very uh, fine line between the, uh, the 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 many different double crosses and triple crosses that have occurred in oh. the black community for sure but on the entire American public, on the, on the entire modern society, you know, from here to Beijing. I mean, just layer upon layer of lies have been told uh, from a variety of angles. And I mean, you could go back to, you could go back to the inception of, 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 of our, of our nation, right. You can go back to the declaration of independence and the writing of the constitution and, and the simple history that's missed uh, in that, um, many many historians believe now that probably 11 out of the original 13 colonies didn't want slavery, um, but that at the time, if you owed the bank money, you couldn't legally give up your slaves, and the, the original 13 colonies didn't want to incite a war with the king, who they were trying to diplomatically uh, uh, you know, separate from you know, on, on a more intellectual basis. I mean that's totally lost on on black people today. You know, well, from, and there,
1: and there was also a problem of that that people had of what to do with a newly freed slave. There, there there wasn't there wasn't a plan on on how to how to manage that process.
2: Right. I mean and so, you know, let's let's fast forward to the civil the civil war and and saying that Lincoln made it very clear that the reason he was willing to go to civil war was largely based on his Christian uh, his Christian, you know, beliefs and, and that they, he didn't believe slavery was right on a fundamental basis and that it was a huge, huge moral, had huge moral implications to the nation. Now, were there other strategic, political or military reasons to advocate to free the slaves? OK, you know, sure. Um, but but just in a in a strictly political sense, how we went from the Civil War to World War One, World War II, and then the Civil Rights Act. That chunk of hundred years is so is so uh, so well manipulated in the mainstream narrative. It's hard to even talk to a lot of Black people today about these issues. I mean, they have a they have a baked in uh, thinking about these things that are completely confounded in the real history. Right I mean, even you know and here's here's where we are I, I I would have to disagree i I don't actually believe that the black community is as biblical or conservative as we think. the black community has ties to the church in some ways, and because we have a sort of um, uh let's say a a, a, a a great deal of crisis in many areas. You see a sort of uh, a need for familial bonds and tight familial families, even familial uh, extended familial you know f- familial bonds, mm-hmm. right? I, it's I took the kid in down the street because his mother was on crack. That doesn't make us biblical. That makes us um, human. <laughs> you know, it makes us kind. It makes us responsible, but it doesn't make us biblical. And and that 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 distinction should be, should be made. And I just read an article today from the Gallup poll that says now only. Forty five percent of Americans overall, uh, you know, report that they belong to a mosque, temple, mosque, temple or or church. So that's alarming in and of itself. But, you know, let's take this. This all stems back to the Civil Rights Act. The entire condition of the black community today hedges on one single fallacy that our freedom and our liberty relies on the expansion, the ever expansion of government. Yes, and and you could you could say that Martin Luther King, as profound as he was, as eloquent as he was, as deep of a thinker as he was, as much of a scholar and historian that he was, he was either in on or made to be the uh, the the useful idiot in this specific context, in in a plot that would that would promote an ever expansion of government into a perpetual future, and that is what has happened. Black people today believe that the only way to secure their freedom and not revert back to a, a racist society where, where they will be enslaved or segregated is that we continue to expand the government into, into an infinite, uh, uh, you know, into, into infinity. Uh, and you ask people that, you go, why, why would you, you individuals who, this is, let's talk about my generation. You individuals who go on Instagram and you have these, these delusions of grandeur and these these pipe dreams about being some, some affluent metropolitan world traveler, why would you opt for a welfare state? Why would you vote for a political party that, that openly promotes that they want to make you permanent wards of the state? Do you not remember James Baldwin? And they don't remember James Baldwin. They and don't they, know and James they, Baldwin. And they get confounded with the way that James Baldwin's words were used in the times when they were said, when you pull them away from their context and you clip them, in a TikTok generation and you bring them into 2020 and you say this guy would have been black lives matter. And James Baldwin was a homosexual, I believe, but he still had the, 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 the intelligence and the insight to say, if you make me a permanent war to the state, then I'm not free. Mm -hmm. And, and we that's, that's lost on, on the liberal left. And by, by way of it's lost on many black people in our community. And we make this, we make this thing, all these issues seem complicated, they don't seem that complicated to me the, the the real issue is that we have a crisis of selling out. Yeah. Right? We have a community full of sellouts. Let's go to athletes, the the entertainers, the comedians, the the C-suite executives who get brought in on some affirmative action uh at racial equity um uh you know, the community the 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 community nonprofit leader. I mean, across the board, we just have a widespread belief that we either need government protection to secure our freedom or we need to we need to assimilate into a a, a white world by being materially successful. And nothing about that is Christian. Nothing about that is American to me.
1: Yeah. Kevin, um, after hearing that, what do you think is is. Where did this come from? I mean, through our history, and, and Royce kind of uh, walked us through slavery and and even the G- Jim Crow era to the uh, modern great society, big government. Um, this recent, and when I say recent, I'd say in the last five or 10 years, um, things have really ratcheted up. Um, can, can you Can you pinpoint where that's coming from?
3: Well, yeah. So, uh, so, so I think that uh, the globalist forces are um, are really, really agitating what's happening in the streets. Okay, a lot of how people don't so? realize this, but uh, Ibram X. Kendi, how to be an anti-racist guy, uh, professor, and all of this, he is actually literally part. He's a disciple of Klaus Schwab and <laughs> World Economic Forum. Yeah. He, he, he's there, he's listed. So how do you get this white guy? I mean, this black guy who's a, how to be an anti-racist guy to partner with the World Economic Forum of which they're all white Europeans. And yet you have this, So so there is a purposeful agitation and chaos that's being created to a large degree, right? Because if you can create enough chaos in America, in the streets of America, you can literally then, with, with a guy that's partially not even there in the White House, uh, he can throw up his hands and say, look, uh, you know, the streets are uh, burning and I don't know what to do. Uh, he already deferred, If you if you understand this, when Biden first came in office in the first three months, I think it was, he already deferred to the UN by saying the United States is systemically racist and we will follow the, the lead of the UN in these race issues. So we're already part of a globalist movement, we, it may not be manifested in a way that we see it or feel it in a, in, in a real meaningful way yet. But their idea is, look, if we can create enough chaos, we can create enough instability economically, we can create enough chaos in the streets with everybody at each other's throats uh, through because of anti-racism or racism or whatever you want to call it, um, then literally we can get closer to our great reset goals. So this is what's been driving it globally um, uh, for the past four or five years. It's It's been a real uh, effort to agitate and to create the amount of chaos that we see. The other thing that I see, I wanted to just chime in on what you and Royce have already mentioned. I believe that the black community uh, is a very, very religious community. However, their religion is not doesn't bow at the cross. Their religion literally, and I've tested this multiple times for the past 10 years, The religion that they hold it as a religion is literally the Democrat Party. Now, Mm -hmm. I've tested it with a couple of pastors. I said, look, bro, hey, man, look, why don't you just vote Biblically? Tell all your people, just look. Look at that Bible book Biblically. And I've been told multiple times by Black pastors, look, Kev, no, no, we can't do that. Why not? Well, because if we do that, you just want us to vote Republican. And I said, no, I'm just asking you, look, take a look at the Bible. We're supposed to be Christians, can't we just, you know, (laughs) apply the word of God to our vote? And they will not do it. And they will not advocate for it within their churches. And the reason why is because their religion, really that they hold as an absolute religion is that particular party. So that's the other reason why we haven't seen a sea change of of blacks in our last several voting cycles. I mean, there's been some nice changes this coming but not a real sea change, especially based upon the conditions of America, the, the globalist threats, and everything else that's going on. Uh, a rational person, a critical thinking uh, people, right? That, that you mentioned, uh, Curtis, already that we need to be taught how to critically think. If we had a, a generation of critical thinkers, we would have seen even more radical change from the Black vote and, uh, and we wouldn't be so sucked in easily emotionally to these issues of racism and white supremacy and uh, white Christian nationalism. You know, oh, I don't serve the white Jesus. I want to get rid of the white evangelicals. And I'm thinking, oh, white Jesus? What, what white evangelical? I mean, you know, this stuff is just over the top. And there's people within our community and within our faith that, Let's say this crazy, and so it's it, it's um, yeah, and so that's that's what I would say about that. Uh, that it's we're fighting those those efforts as well. It's just the overall tradition and and just you know that 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 brainwashing, if you will, to just you got to do it for the Democrats. You have to, you know, kind of a thing. So. And,
2: and, and are, to to, ch- to chime in, ahead, th- think about think about the history here too, right? I mean, if you think about the history. Here's one of those info wars that's been played right here. Number one, um, it, it deeply troubles me. First of all, I was, I was raised a Catholic. Uh, I'm a Christian, but I would say we need to come into God moment between all of the Abrahamic faiths. So I'm very open to my Muslim and Jewish brothers and sisters as well. Um, and, and I consider myself a Jew. If you're a Catholic, if you're a Christian, you're a Jew first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. I mean, if, if you know, that that just is what it is. Christianity is is Judaism perfected. I would say as a Christian, mm-hmm. um, and so is the Quran. I mean, you know, as the other day I, I was having a conversation with a conservative. And they're like, Islam. How can you how can you say you're a Muslim as well how How can you not understand the diametrical uh, uh, differences between Islam and Christianity? Was, wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second. Isa is the is the Messiah in the Quran. Now they don't believe that he's the son of God, but they do say and believe that he's the penultimate prophet, Messiah, and and that that's lost on many Muslims. So the Islamic faith is having their own sort of interfaith culture, culture and information war being played on its practitioners by not acknowledging Jesus Christ in the way that they should, and, grif- and drifting more towards Muhammad. Um, so so that that that's a that's a failure of of text in the Islamic faith. But let's just be honest here. Why are all these pro black, pro black, you know, neophytes saying that Christianity is a white man's religion? Jesus Christ wasn't white. Right. It, just because a group of Europeans took his image and replaced his image with a white man doesn't change the reality that Jesus wasn't white. So it's not a white man's religion. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, a Middle Eastern, an an, an Arab man's religion, uh, an African man's religion. Let's just, it it's a a Semitic man's religion. Um, so so that's that's one issue that that's that's blatant. Um, and and to your point about the black black people's religion being the Democrat Party, it's like, wh- where 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 do we think this is headed? You know, I just ask my my friends my age at thirty years old who who say who are even Christian who say they're Christian. And, um, and I go, you know, the church that you go to, well, how do they feel about gay marriage? Well, how do they feel about abortion or how do they feel about, uh, about freedom, about, ind- about let's, let's take away the political, uh, wedge issues. Let's go back to free will versus predeterminism. How do they feel about free will? Uh, and, and we have a, we have an issue where a lot of these pastors are sellouts and the, and, 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 It's hard for me to discern whether they have sold out for a hand to hand payoff or whether we're suffering from a downstream issue of of um, the scam of separation of church and state. uh, Right. So either you actually took a payoff from the BLMs or the Democrats or you take a payoff by paying by being a, a tax exempt institution based on the fact that you won't weigh in on politics or, or promote political candidates, either way, you, you still, you've still uh, been bought and your, your, your sway has been bought to go against the word of God through politics. So there is no, oh, I'm not, we're not political. We're just a Christian institution. If you pay taxes, you're political. (laughs) You know, if you, if you, if you pay into the system and it's another thing that I saw at BLM when I led some of these George Floyd protests and, and I went out in this sort of counter protest to say, whoa, whoa, stop, stop, you know, stop talking about the first police, the, the police precinct, the first precinct. Let's go to the federal reserve. Do you people know what the federal reserve is? Do you understand what it means when I say corporatocracy? Do you understand the word sovereignty? These these you know m- m- you know young white women with funny color hair—they're looking at me like I had three eyes. I don't care. <laughs> bow your head and pray. We are out, we outside the Federal Reserve. It was eighteen thousand of us. I made all of them bow their head and pray. Some of them weren't praying, but they bowed their head in, in respect. And um, it, it it was strange to me because the chant that I heard more than anything was the entire system's guilty. That's the driving you know uh, um, belief in the BLM movement, or let's say in the, the far left political movement, the Marxist movement. The entire system is guilty. Well, who do you think came with the vaccine? who do you think is is promoting a war in the ukraine what What do you think the system is? And what I found out through that time period is that they're not they're not um misinformed or naive to who the system is. They're using nomenclature. They're using catchwords and buzzwords and and catchphrases to be able to define what the system is arbitrarily when they want to carve out a piece of system they want to attack. And that's a lot of what's. those are the people that are leading the black community politically. Yeah. These are your Stacey Abrams. These are your Alex uh, uh, ocasio cortezs Ilhan Omar, uh, uh, Cory Booker. The, the list goes on and on and on. They're carving out uh, parts of the system that they mean to attack. And they're using grand general statements like the whole system is guilty to justify the attack. Yeah, And it's like, hey, I'm I'm in agreement. Yeah, the Fed is guilty. 173 trillion dollars in unfunded liabilities. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of moral culpability to go around. Moral hazard is is more like it. So yeah, the system is guilty.
3: But Private corporation never been audited. I mean, it's the Fed is just a mess, man. I mean, you but know, I but know. that
2: but but that's that's the NBA. That's Nike. That's uh Walmart, that's Target, that's Pfizer, that's uh uh United Healthcare Group. I mean, who who do you, you don't get to pick and choose who the system is if you say the whole thing is guilty. So that shows you that a lot of the young people, I believe, who are just coming out of college or who are just coming into their, you know, their late teenage years have been targeted through low information, uh, social media, video uh, messaging, where they're getting all of their philosophical ideas in 15 second clips. and. Mm. Yeah, of course, you. of course, in 15 seconds, you'll think Donald Trump is the entire system. Yeah. Donald Trump isn't the system. Donald Trump's a piker in the grand scheme of the system. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's gotten he's gotten himself up there and he's he's taken a long walk as an individual to be the president of the United States. Nobody can do that without having some talent and some skill. Um, but he's not running anything.
3: That's right.
2: You know, the military industrial complex, These they don't even want to talk about these things. So when I talk to my people in my community, we got to go to litmus tests. If you don't want to talk about these, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to find the black people who really want to learn and understand and know so that they can be exactly. properly equipped to fight back. I don't want to spend a lot of time preaching to a lot of people who believe that Tony Fauci has the best interest at heart. I just right. don't have time for it.
1: And Royce, are we finding, are we finding those people? Are you finding those people in the community who want to know the truth? Um, every day, are, are they every there? day
2: I get messages every, you know, and as, as I start to post more content and be out in the public eye more and, and talk about these issues um, I get people every day, you know, people of color who go keep going. I, 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 I I've, I've felt these things. I haven't really heard them articulated from people that are in positions of, of, of spotlight or power that share my skin color. But I'm glad that you're saying these things. And so I think the movement of truth is actually building what I think is. The Republican establishment, let's just talk politics for a second, the, the Republican establishment or let's say conservative media has has been has been in on it as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, they they've tried to toe the line and 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 play the fence no. for their own personal ambition and gain, and so yeah. they they've been very lukewarm with an unabashed and unadulterated truth. Yeah. So I, I can't even really see. I can't. It's hard for me to take a head count on how many people have been exposed to the truth yeah. and rejected it, or have actually never encountered it. Um. Because when you know my my grandmother, for example, half black, half white. The other day we're talking. And, you know, we got to talking about, you know, Alex Jones, for example. And uh, and she goes, you know, what he said about those kids in Sandy Hook was just terrible. And I said, yeah, that was terrible. But do you were you aware of Alex Jones in 2000 when he actually when he was going after George Bush? Um, You know, or, you know, it's just people have been told the story. Here's 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 what I'll say. If you read it in the New York Times headlines, it's a lie. It's it's a lie. It's it's manufactured. All of these companies are working for the security state. Now, most black people don't even know what the security state is, for the most part. They they uh, qualified as the man. But to them, the man is anybody who's white. So they're having that trouble of distinction. And so, you know, when I explain to people, hey, this is what the security state means. This is what the administrative state means. This is what they mean when they say the deep state. This is who Edward Snowden is. This is who orchestrated the assassination on Fred Hampton. This is who was passing notes uh, uh, to to Martin Luther King to try and get him to assassinate himself. These are the things that Black people are being that uh, are more open to when I when I come across them. Uh, Kevin, it's
1: awesome. Where? What do we do? I mean, we we understand the problem. What is it that we need to be doing? When I say we, I mean, the three of us on this screen, those of us out there who share a a common desire to improve the quality of our nation. What do we need to do? What should we be continuing to do as we press forward to try to get more and more uh, of the truth out to more and more of our people?
3: You know, I think, I think Royce really hit the nail on the head. I mean, what we need to do is engage, not, I know it's frustrating. It's frustrating for me, it's frustrating for all all of us, especially to have a more of a conservative mindset and conservative vent, because uh, the reality is, is not too many people on our side would like to engage. But, you know, Royce has the great has the right idea. We look for those who are actually not ideological in the sense that they're completely bought into the the whole Democrat, big government, Fauci that that whole thing. Uh, we need people that are more moderate in their thinking, and there's a lot of them out there who are willing to explore uh, truth together. And so, what we, you know, the worst thing we can do is to completely disengage and say, I'm just through with these people. Man, our people are so messed up, I'm done. No, that's the worst thing we can do because then who's, how are we going to ever get a change in our community, right? So, what we need to do is look for those people that are willing to engage. um, And and, then when they are, we need to be willing to step to them. And convey appropriate truth and bring them along. Uh, it could be a process. It, you know, most times it is because there's really entrenched strongholds in the mind that a lot of people in our community are just holding on to. They don't know why, other than tradition, mom and them, dad and them, or whatever. But uh, you know, we need to just be willing, and, and and this is where love comes in, because when you love someone or when you love a community. You will put yourself out there and and uh, basically sacrifice right for your brother or your sister. Right. So you'll you'll spend the time right like Royce is doing right now and saying, look, man, I, you know, I just want to spend this time with you so we can, you know, kind of chop it up and reason together so we could figure this thing out, because we, the worst thing for your family, your community, my community. Is for us to be completely separated or completely jacked up with our thinking and not ever come to know the truth so if we can just uh you know step to step into the conversation look for opportunities to get involved to actually engage uh that's a great thing now i've been trying to do this especially with black pastors for years and the reality is is black pastors by and large i'm making a generalization here do not want to engage they just don't they would rather be stuck right where they are, the mindset they have, and, the, and shepherd their people down this golden path of, of in my in my mind, of destruction, uh, because they have a particular way that they want to continue to think. They don't really want to think different. This is just my, this is what I find, and uh, working with the black church, it's just very very difficult. There's a lot of white churches or multi-ethnic churches that I have more success with, right? Um, and, but I don't care where, I'm just, my prayer is, Lord, just send me where there's a path, so we can just start to explore, and and bring these things forward, and help whoever it is, Um, and, uh, and so I I just, I applaud you, Royce, that's, that's exactly what we should be doing, uh, looking for opportunities to do that, and uh, so I hope that answers your question, Curtis.
1: Oh, absolutely, and, and and let's, tell me, talk to me a little bit about about crime you know i'm a i've got a background as a prosecutor uh for a number of years and and public safety and accountability has always been uh very important to me and we've seen a major uptick in crime everywhere uh 30 in many urban areas um lots of people put it on the pandemic uh i think this has been a long time coming um we've had policies in place uh, so-called criminal justice reform. And I say so-called because the concept of criminal justice reform had been limited to reducing sentences as opposed to identifying uh, what's behind the criminal activity and what can be done to, to, uh, to intercede uh, before that criminal activity takes place. Um, and uh, so I, I, I think this has been something that's been going on for quite some time. And a lot of the finger pointing uh, is out there uh, about what's happening in the uh, in the black neighborhoods, those are the neighborhoods that need the most safety. those are the, those are the yeah, neighborhoods that are being absolutely. destroyed uh, the, the quickest and it all comes down to the family and yeah, absolutely. what's not happening at home um, you know uh, Royce, you talked about the, uh, the uh, uh, Civil Rights Act. Uh, prior to the Civil Rights Act, uh, the number of, of, of fatherless homes was around 24 percent in 1960. By 2010, it was 72% uh, compared to 29% in the white community, uh, a very disproportionate number. Well, in my view, that speaks to the disproportionate number of black men in prison compared to white men in prison, uh, which again is disproportionate. Um, but we we have a tendency to miss all of that. Uh What do you see as a way for us to appropriately address criminal justice reform? And and, and I firmly believe that we should always be looking at our justice system and massaging it. Uh, There are problems within the justice system from an individualized nature. I don't want to say paint a broad brush and say the entire system is broken. Uh, The system needs continual feedback and engagement. Um, What can you say in the few minutes that we have here left um, about what we should be doing to directly engage crime as it's impacting our communities of color as it's uh as it's decimating uh young black men on both sides of the spectrum as the the actor and the acted upon
2: well well i would say number one um there's a lot there's a lot of crisis to go around i think the prison system itself is fundamentally broken um i think i think we have to take a strong look at um how the prison system functions and what do we really mean by rehabilitation, right? You know, we have a broken, we have a broken mental health. We have a mental health crisis in this country, irregardless of the prison system. So when you add mm-hmm. the prison system on top of an already, uh, you know, out of control mental health epidemic, people get out of well, prison. Yeah. Or,
1: well, and we try to use our, we try to use our criminal justice system to clean up the as mental, health. mental health service. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's that's completely that's completely off off base. But we have a broken school. So yeah, we have broken black families. We have broken uh we have a broken community. We don't have actually we don't even have a community. Let's just stop saying we have a black community because there's there's nothing community about it as it stands today. All there are are a bunch of black people who live in clusters who have no sort of uh um uh, uh, real connection of of productivity. It's just no survival. Continuity. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. There's no, there's no header. There's no, there's no aim. There's no hope. It's, it's just survival. And we may, we may go out of our way to help the person next to us survive, but that's not the same as prospering. And so first we have to go into our communities and differentiate between uh, surviving and prospering. So we have broken families, but we also have a broken school system and we have a broken prison system. And, And so those three things are, 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 are major, major issues. Um, but we also, we also suffer from this, this deeper issue of radical materialism, Mm. right? We, this, this, this sort of, see, we don't have any security. And these are the two, these are the two heresies of the entire American culture. We've traded freedom for security and radical materialism. Mm. Well, but black people, we don't have any security at all. We don't have any self, uh, self-imposed security and we don't have any government security, right? So, um, that, that's kind of a a non-issue for us. So what we do to, to, uh, uh, you know, compensate is we go all in on the radical materialism and, and our, and our mindset is that money or the acquisition of wealth is going to, is going to clarify the will is going to clarify our actions is going to clarify, uh, you know, having some sort of, structure and order and promise and hope in our lives and that's off base that can only be solved through metaphysical faith that can only be solved through a higher ethic that cannot be solved um by by voting by politics that that that's upstream from politics um so yeah the the black community needs a a, a, a renaissance of of faith we we need something higher to call to and and, you know, if you if you and people say, oh, well, if you give a young man a job, um, stop, it's like saying if you give like black people can't get IDs. Right. Young yeah. people can get jobs. Yeah. Young black people can get jobs there. And, and here's and here's what I'll end with, Curtis. This is a sort of, um, you know, this is a sort of a epistemological question of like the cart before the horse. Right. And so when we talk about white supremacy, I'm not one of these conservatives who's going to say there is no white supremacy, because so far as I see it, the only problem we have is properly identifying who the white supremacists are. We don't see Klaus Schwab and the entire liberal Marxist, globalist, communist, white power structure on the global level as white supremacists. We've just right. closed our eyes to these right. people They're They're not even white to us. They're just right you know they're just shepherds of the next the next iteration of the world's best way to organize. Um and so that's that's ridiculous on its face but um there is a distinct issue in our american culture and even in the conservative movement that we have yet to acknowledge and, and reconcile. Yeah. When your government steals everybody steals. Yeah. When your government is stealing everybody is stealing. And and so yeah, George Floyd was trying to pass a counterfeit twenty, but the Federal Reserve has passed thirty-two trillion dollars in counterfeit mm-hmm. money. So is Ben Bernanke a criminal? Is 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 Janet Yellen a criminal? Uh, you know, Raskin is she a criminal? And of course not. We see those as white collar crimes. So we feed the feedback loop of the Marxists who tell these young black men that they're perpetual victims and have no real agency and they're cursed or doomed to become criminals when we don't acknowledge the real issues of the system that that preside over them and and subconsciously give them the right in their mind to to throw the rule book out of the window and say every man for himself. We have to clarify our own crookedness before we go to the young black man and say, look what you could actually be. This is the American way right now. The American way is broken. The American way was supposed to be the thing you could put in front of any man and, and, and draw him to aspire to be something greater. But when the American way is broken, the way we've allowed it to become broken, all he sees is corruption and he follows suit.
3: Yeah. it's good.
1: Kevin.
3: The only thing additional I would add is, uh, that's, that's excellent, Royce, uh, right on point, brother. So the only thing additional I would add is, look, uh, we do have some criminal justice reforms that need to be had. Uh, uh, Biden and Clinton passed the 1994 crime bill. They put brothers behind bars on purpose strategically for a five dollar dime bag of weed or a little piece of crack. Uh, comparatively, had white, white guys with kilos of crack and they weren't getting that kind of time. We were doing 25 to life on purpose by Biden. And I was trying to remind the brothers about this. Look, this is the guy who, who's done mass incarceration and you're putting them in power. Anyway, that's a whole nother subject for another day. But so we, we do we must continue to do that. President Trump was trying to correct what Biden had done. Then he you know, and now he's out. Uh, hopefully, if he gets an opportunity again, he'll he'll correct more and more of that. Uh, the number two thing is the defund movement and the no bail movement had a disproportional effect on the our community. Um, you know, we had young mothers, we had young girls uh, that are being decimated. Those, 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 those assaults that happened to them aren't even being reported because you know the response time from police is 45 minutes now in most of these inner cities. It, it, and and they figure what you know what are they going to do by the time they get here? It's it's so we have so many other crimes that are not being reported, especially that are targeting in our community. And we're all suffering because of it. We have these young girls now that are really having a hard time just getting to school without you know, being felt up or whatever, whatever. So, um, so those are the things that really hurt our community and we need to do better with all of those things. Fatherlessness, of course, is the number one issue. The two biggest issues that impact uh, crime and poverty are fatherlessness, according to social anthropologists, fatherlessness and school choice. Because we don't have those it, at a large degree, it 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 opens up a whole another Pandora's box of the rampant and volatile crimes that we have in our communities. So uh, that's the only additional thing that I would say about that.
1: Well, super fellas. I I, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up. But but one thing I want you to consider, I think we ought to take this show on the road. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, let's let's get a little reaction from our from our viewers. at the, the Unity Project. Uh, because this is the kind of information, this is the sort of dialogue that everyone needs to hear—not just blacks. Uh, many of the audiences I speak to are white conservatives, and oftentimes they say, uh, "Curtis, what can we do?" Uh, and and what much of what I tell them is, you have to approach these communities. Uh, and I apologize for the because you're right; it's not a community, uh, but we have to approach black people uh, with an understanding, with an empathy that 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 you understand where they're coming from so that you can gain credibility and then we go in and talk stats you just can't go in and tell somebody oh you're wrong about this and you're wrong about that that's never going to work because uh, our folks have been conditioned to think that they're being lied to uh, by any type of narrative that's not been the narrative of of the last 60 years Um, but we need to find ways to bridge this gap because it's only our people who are suffering from it. And I shouldn't say only our people, the entire nation's suffering because if if the black community is is suffering, the white community is suffering, America is suffering and the world suffers. And if we're ever gonna be uh, the beacon of hope that the world deserves, uh, we have to be a united America for that. And it's very imperative that we bring our people on board uh, uh, to demonstrate God's love as you uh, eloquently put um, and forgiveness uh, so that we can move forward Absolutely. and make a better, brighter future for everyone. So gentlemen, I want to thank you very much on behalf of the Unity Project for your time and your service, and um, we'll sign off now, and let's do this again very, very soon. Thank you.
0: From all of us at the Unity Project, thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope to continue producing content that amplifies voices, strategies, and resources. Please keep in mind that the Unity Project is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that relies on the contributions of our generous supporters to fuel the work we do in this movement. If you value our efforts, please consider making a tax deductible contribution today by visiting our website at www.unityproject.com and clicking the donate button. We very much appreciate your continued support and confidence without which our work wouldn't be possible.